he didn't want us to have challenges. But he says, well, I will draw near to you. And I will save you when your spirit is crushed. God hasn't lashed out at us to make life tragic, but he works through the tragedies. And so when we see this, and we can look at this clearly, when we can look at the people around us, and I don't know, it can be really hard right now, right, to say, is there really anybody around us? Yes, there are people all around us right now. If you go on a walk, you have to realize every single house you walk past is full of people, or even a person. And in this season of walking through this pandemic, and as we start to walk out of it by God's grace, it's surely going to bring a lot of these spiritual needs to the surface of people, not just in our own lives, but in these people in all these homes around us. And, you know, I was encouraged in our gospel group uh, this past week, a, a few people talking about how they're starting to see that in their co-workers and in, in people they know and their neighbors and so forth, and these spiritual needs starting to come out, and maybe a number of you are starting to see those things as well. So I think we have a tremendous opportunity right here in the midst of this. And so what should we do? So today we're going to take a look at a passage from John. And Jesus, I think, is giving us some practicals for how we can interact with lost, broken, crushed in spirit people who live around us. But not just interacting with them, not just an interactive approach, but a proactive approach. So we're going to start here and read in John chapter 4, starting in verse 27. Uh, just then his disciples came back. Right? This, this is, uh, he's in Samaria, and the woman at the well had just you know, run off, and the disciples come back, and they marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him, right? We, we talked about this story a, a few weeks ago. It picks up and goes on. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, is, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed. They believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. We have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. 
After two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he'd made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour that he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. Now this was the second sign Jesus did when he would come from Judea to Galilee. And so there's a lot here that we could really draw out, but today I really want to focus on the model that Jesus is just living out for us, that he's living out for believers of how we can relate to unbelievers when they're facing seasons of crisis and tragedy. So I think we can see here Jesus gives us really two great, important jobs that a believer is supposed to have. We're supposed to sow the gospel, and we're supposed to reap the harvest. And we'll, we'll look at each of these individually here in just a minute. But we can sort of understand, okay, there's kind of two things going on here. There's this sowing and there's this reaping. And I think it's really important for us to realize, first and foremost, that these are both and. These are both and. You know, God works in that way, right? He works in things where it's both this and that. It's not either or. He works in a lot of both ands. And I see this here in this passage. He shows us that sowing the gospel and reaping the harvest is both seasonal and yet simultaneous. Well, what do I mean? Well, when we're sowing and when we're reaping, it's not do this and then that. There can be some ebbs and flows, and there can be, oh, maybe there's more of this happening than that, but they're both happening at the same time. And yet there are seasons. The scripture tells us there's seasons. Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says to Timothy, he says, I charge you, be ready in season and out of season. So we know that there are seasons. And yet we know that these things are happening at the same time. And Jesus models that right here in this story. He's sowing, he's reaping, he's sowing again, he's reaping again. In addition to being seasonal and simultaneous, it's both difficult yet joyful. It's both difficult and joyful. Because obedience, obedience is difficult work, isn't it? It's difficult to obey. Ask uh, anyone who's under the age of 18 in our church. It's difficult to obey. There is a challenge to it. And yet, there is a joy. There is a joy in obeying. What would we trade it for? I don't know what we'd trade it for. We all know James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy when you meet difficult trials. <clears throat> we have joy. We have trials. 
both together. Jesus modeled this for us when he went to the cross. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. The most difficult thing possible was yet joyful. It is both and. We see that here in this passage. In addition, we see that it is both God's work and yet our obedience. We know God is ultimately in control. He's in control. He's in control. There's no doubt about that. But he asks us to be his instruments. He asks us to obey. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, It is for God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. There's that classic debate. We all know it. The classic debate. Well, is it free will or is it predestination? Is it free will or is it predestination? What's my choice and what's God's choice? Guess what? It's both. It's both. God's pulled them together. It is both and. And we can accept this. And so, let me just sort of add this on these points. When we look at today's world, we... We so desperately want things to be cut and dried. I think especially in this, in this pandemic, we want it to be either this or that. We see, like we talked about last week, our health and our finances are under attack. There's challenges here going on, and it's interesting. The loudest responses I see in the world seem to be this or that. This or that. And maybe some of you would say, like we talked about last week, and you've been thinking about this week, and you're going, yeah, maybe I would track this way, or I would track that way. Or maybe some of you within your own household, some of you track this way, and some of you track that way. And I think God would want us to sort of live in this world of both and. And that's my encouragement to you, is let God meet you in the midst of both, of both things going on. And we're going to need to do this. As a church, as we, as we move forward and as we, we walk out of the, the stay-at-home world into the, the new world and with all these realities, and we've got to figure it out, but the, re, the reality is every single one of us is going to have a different opinion and a different view on what we should be doing next or what the next step is or how we should handle Sunday mornings or how we should handle gospel group. And you probably have really good reasons for that, and we can respect that, but we need to pull together and understand that it's going to be both and. And we'll be talking about that more in coming weeks as as we move forward and we get closer to being back together in the same room, which I'm really excited for, by the way. So, Jesus models these two things. Well, let's look at them specifically. What is sowing? What is sowing? He talks about sowing. What is that? Well, it's basically putting out seeds of goodness and truth. Putting out seeds of goodness and truth that might draw someone to Jesus. We put those seeds out there, right? We, we tend to think of, of a grand gospel presentation, don't we? That's what we go, oh, well, the guy stands up in front. You know, Billy Graham, he stands in front, and he gives us a revival, and people come and they place their faith in Christ. But I want most of you, if you could, think about your own experience. Where did you hear the good news? Where did you really understand it? Where did you really start to grasp it? It was probably in life-to-life settings. And so I want to encourage us, because we are a small church, right? We fit on about one Zoom screen, or maybe two Zoom screens, right? (laughs) We fit in one room together. We don't have four or five or six services, or even two services. We just have the one. 
but lives are affected one-on-one. So lives are affected in small churches, person-to-person. So I want to encourage us in that. And so we can see Jesus in this passage in John chapter 4. What is he doing? He's modeling for us how to sow. And I see that really in three different ways. One, he asks questions. He he goes to the Samaritan woman. That was sort of in the passage before we read it this morning. But he asks these questions of the Samaritan woman. And he draws her out by asking her specific questions. He also, in addition to asking questions, he meets needs. Well, there's the official son there. He's got a need. His son is dying. He meets the need. He goes and meets that. And then he has conversations. He he converses with the woman. He converses with the official. He converses with the Samaritans. He has these conversations. So, how can I apply this to my life? Well, there's a few ways. We, like Jesus, can ask questions. I think in this season of pandemic, we we can have that opportunity. And I know maybe we're not bumping into people quite as much or not seeing them. But, you know, I I saw my neighbors and I've interacted with them, even if it's, you know, making sure I'm six feet away at least. Or you see people at the store or most of us are still working in jobs and have contact. And you can just ask that question. Say, hey, this has been a hard time. Uh, How are you feeling about things? What emotions is this whole season bringing up? Or how is your family doing? You can ask questions about that. Another thing we can do is we can build into people, right? We can look for ways to how can I come alongside? And, you know, the story I think of from my own life is, you know, maybe not quite so pandemic related, but when I was, my wife and I were younger and we didn't have kids yet, we were, uh, got to know this couple and they became friends of ours and they were, they were clearly sort of wandering, trying to figure out things spiritually. And we said, you know what? Let's just build into them. And, and we went so far as to move from the apartment complex we were living in to the apartment complex they lived in so that we could be near them and so that we could serve them and build into them. And, you know, they had needs sometimes. And sometimes they were just simple practical needs. They, they had cats. And they went on a trip and they said, could you look in on our cats? Well, both of us are allergic to cats, but we said, sure, we'll, we'll look in on your cats and we'll uh, try to play with your cats and, uh, you know, take some antihistamine after that. And we did that. We built into them and eventually they came to know Christ. And so we have that opportunity. We can build into our neighbors. A lot of us were stuck at home and we're stuck at home with a group of people who are our children. We have an opportunity to sow seeds of goodness and truth by shepherding our children. Of course, this comes in the form of discipline, but it also comes in the form of conversation. You know, depending on the age of your kids, the older they are, maybe the more sophisticated or deep or, or, or messy the conversation can be. When they're younger, it can be simple, but you're sitting together at dinner, you're sitting together at breakfast maybe nowadays, or you're sitting together at lunch even, I don't know. Ask a spiritual question. Have a spiritual conversation with your kids. Participate with them. Model faith for them. Let them see you reading the word, speaking truth and life to others. Of course, I can also meet needs. 
It can meet people's needs. There's a lot of needs going around. Um, and to just step up to those. I Even just here a, a week and a half ago, uh, the engineering company I work for, I got an email from somebody in upper management, and they said, hey, you know, we kind of did this neat thing. We did this survey of employees of the company, and we asked if anybody would like prayer during this season and then we asked if anybody would like to pray for other people in the company and so we're wondering if uh, you'd be willing to take those two lists and facilitate getting the prayer requests from the one people and sending the prayer on to the other people well it was just this little opportunity to meet a need and I said well sure you know I didn't get paid for it but it was a blessing to be able to say hey there is a need and to connect people who have one need with other people who are willing to need it. We have those opportunities right here in front of us, for sure. We also can have conversations, just like Jesus. We can have conversations. We can make friends. You're stuck at home. Maybe there's a neighbor you haven't met yet. You go meet them. Stand six feet away, right? But go meet them or say hi. Wave across the fence at them and introduce yourself and have a loud conversation with all the other neighbors here and say, why are those people yelling at each other? Oh, they're just meeting each other. You can do that. Words of kindness are always welcome. And I think in this season, we all got to go to the grocery store. Probably most of us go into places like Home Depot. Oh, I know I'm doing that kind of thing. There's people who still have to take your money and still have to ring up your stuff and you can have words of kindness. Smile with your eyes. If they can't see your face behind a mask, smile with your eyes. Be gentle. Be courteous. We have these opportunities here. I think there's also the opportunity to drop seeds. What do I mean by dropping seeds? Well, we could think about this sort of in in the the classic time of, oh, you know, you go to a restaurant and when you leave a generous tip, you you put a tract in with it. Let that person know, hey, here's the good news. And I don't know, maybe that works. Maybe you could think of creative ways to do that now where everything is takeout. But you can always do even other things like offer to pray. If you see a neighbor or you see a friend, you see a colleague, you say, hey, is there something I could pray for you? Drop that seed. Maybe there's practical needs. Who knows, it might snow again. You could shovel the sidewalk here in the next few weeks or mow somebody's lawn or uh, take their trash cans in back to their house or do something. Drop those seeds. Now, when we talk about all these things, these are great. And you might be saying in your heart, those are really cool, but... That's going to make me an enemy of some people. If I speak up about goodness and truth, I might become an enemy. And I understand that's the case because we live in an especially volatile culture right now. And there is a cost to sowing. There is a personal cost because the reaction by many in normal times is anger. But in times of tragedy and sorrow, there's even even deeper anger. And so there may be anger towards God's people. There's a professor from Princeton, this guy, Robert George, and he has this quote. I put the first part of it here, but I'll just read it to you. He said, To be a witness to the gospel today is to make oneself a marked man or woman. It is to expose oneself to scorn and reproach. To unashamedly proclaim the gospel in its fullness is to place in jeopardy one's security, one's personal aspirations and ambitions, the peace and tranquility one enjoys, one's standing in polite society. One may, in consequence of one's public witness, be discriminated against and denied 
educational opportunities, and the prestigious credentials they may offer. One may lose valuable opportunities for employment and professional advancement. One may be excluded from worldly recognition and honors of various sorts. One's witness may even cost one treasured friendships. It may produce familial discord and even alienation from family members. He closes by saying, yes, there are costs to discipleship, heavy costs. And so I'd ask you, do you believe this is the case? I believe it's the case. I think it's true. And if it is true, then sowing seeds of goodness is not just this sort of lackadaisical thing. It's serious business. We want to be engaged in serious business as God's people. So that's sowing. What about reaping? What is reaping? Well, reaping is very simply just seeing souls turn from darkness to light and seeing souls become multipliers. I love that in that little kid's video. The flower pops up and when stuff is all good, it's like more pop up. It becomes a multiplying flower. And oftentimes... So much of this reaping, like it says in the passage in John, isn't really our own effort. It's God. God does the work. We sometimes are just like, uh, you see God? (laughs) See the good news? It's right here. We just point to it. Now, sometimes this can be, you know, in our kids. Some of you, I'm so encouraged, some of you who are maybe more in the empty nest phase, you have kids who've grown up and you have kids. Some of your kids are following Christ. And that is encouraging to those of us who are raising kids to say, hey, we can see them, we can raise them, they can make that choice on their own. That can be reaping. There is a reaping in that. Now, we go back to John 4. Jesus modeled it. He sort of modeled this every day today, reaping. How did he do it? Well, he answered questions. You know, this is the, the official says, will you heal my child? And Jesus answered that question. Jesus spoke the truth. He spoke to the Samaritan woman and said, you are in sin. He was not afraid to call sin what it is, which is sin. And Jesus, of course, was equipped with the good news. With the gospel, the Samaritans come to him and spend many days, and he's equipped to share with them the good news, and they believe it. So, how can I apply this to my life? How can I apply this? Well, a couple ways. One is, be ready to answer questions. And that doesn't mean you've got to get some sort of degree in apologetics, or, you know, go, go study up on it a bunch necessarily. All I think you really need to do is have open arms. You probably know the truth, and I think the Spirit lives inside of you, and you have that ability to answer a lot of questions. I, I think of our, our brother Jonathan here in our church, and when he first showed up, we went and sat down for coffee, and it was just like, question, 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 question to me. And my approach was to just say, hey, man, God loves you. I love you. I don't know you, but I love you because God loves you. And I try to answer your questions as best I can. And the questions I don't know the answer to, we'll look for it. And the questions I think maybe aren't important, I might point you to another question or an, another thing. And, you know, eventually he put his faith, faith in Christ. Uh, sometimes, instead of, in addition to being ready to answer questions, we're ready to clarify we're ready to clarify. What do I mean? Well, sometimes people come to us and they have, uh, they have some understanding 
of the Bible, and, but they need something clarified. We, we think we see that story in Acts with Priscilla and Aquila, and they kind of have this understanding, and they sit with Paul, and Paul says, well, let me clarify what the gospel really is, and he explains it to him. We had a young man show up here once a number of years ago, and he'd had this very wild experience. And in the midst of this wild experience, he'd heard the gospel, and had placed his faith in the gospel, but he needed to sit down with some people who understood what was going on to clarify it. And we sat and clarified it for him, and he was like, yes, that's what I believe, baptize me now. And we said, right now? He said, right now. And we were like, uh, well, we'll fill up the tub and we'll do it. And we baptized him right there on the spot. He just needed clarification. That was a process of reaping. We reaped what somebody else had sown, the work that God had done. We were just there to harvest We also just need to be ready to share the gospel. Ready to share it. Uh, I'm going to single somebody out here in our church. I'm going to single out John McIntosh. That guy, John, I know you're there. I don't see your face on my screen, but I know you're there. John is always ready to sit down and tell somebody about the hope that lives in him. What an encouragement to me, and I think an encouragement to all of us. We all could be that. Just be ready. Ready to share it. Ready to share it. And maybe to be ready to share, we need to be equipped. We got to be equipped. And there's so many resources available. There's, you know, probably hundreds of apps you can have on your phone for walking somebody through. We have tracks. We have PowerPoint presentations. We've got circle diagrams and bridge diagrams and cross diagrams. I tell you what, if you feel like you're not equipped, I would be happy to personally resource you in learning evangelism during this pandemic. You got some time, I got some time, I'd be happy to work with you and figure that out. Just let me know. So, that's reaping. We have sowing and we have reaping. And so I'd ask you this, are you joyful in those things? Are you a joyful sower of the good news? Are you a joyful reaper of the work God has done around you? And are you doing those things right in your own circle of influence? Are you ready? Are you sowing? Are you reaping? See, every one of us has neighbors. Every one of us has family members, immediate and in the extended family. Every one of us has got colleagues and co-workers and friends and acquaintances and old friends and new friends and so forth. We all interact with people. Even in this environment, we're still interacting with people. Maybe it's on Zoom. I don't know. We're doing it every day, every week. But it's personal. It's maybe virtual, but it's going to become more and more personal here as we walk out into the next few months. And so we look at these things and we go, oh yeah, sowing and reaping. Yeah, 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 Greg, that's great. But are you doing it? Are you doing it? If you are, I'm happy. And that's great. It's not hard to do. And why? Why is it not hard to do? Well, Jesus told us right there. I'll go back to that in John chapter 4. Jesus says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already, the one who reaps is receiving wages. You see that? The reaping is ready to happen. It's right there before us for eternal life. And then those who sow and those who reap will rejoice together. 
saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. We are in this labor together. You and I are living in a great forest, in the center of a field of souls. And Jesus tells us right here to rejoice in the opportunity to sow the good news, to rejoice in the opportunity to reap the harvest, and above all, to trust him for that. So, we're all here together in the midst of this thing, this pandemic, this situation, everything that's going on here. And we're all going to be together as we walk through it and as we walk out of it into whatever the next reality is going to be. No matter what happens, we're in it. And we're in it, and this promise from Psalm 34 applies to us. God promises that he is near to you, he is near to me, he is near to the person who lives next door to you, who lives down the street, who's on the Zoom call with you at work. He is near to all of us, and especially to those who are brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit. And so I'm going to close here in prayer. And as I'm closing in prayer, I want you to take a few moments as we're praying to think about and consider those near you who have deep spiritual needs. And as we're praying, I want you to pray for them. Pray for them by name. And pray that God would give you opportunities for that person, whether it's to sow seeds or to reap the harvest of the gospel. So let's pray. Yeah, God, we are surrounded by a a field of harvest that is white. It just means that it's ready. God, we know that you've ordained this time and this season. You haven't you haven't caused it in the sense of like you're, you're punishing us, Lord. We know that our sin is why the world is broken and why the universe is broken. And we look forward to the day when all things are going to be made right. And in the meantime, we know that you're close to us and you're close to our neighbors and our friends and our family. And God, so we just ask, Lord, I even ask for my life. Lord, I think of people around me who maybe need to hear the gospel or need to have things clarified or need to have their questions answered need to be pointed towards you. God, we pray for each one of us that we would have those opportunities with these people. Lord, as we remember them in our hearts by name, we remember their faces and their lives, Lord, and we remember that each one is your creation. And you desire to draw close to them, Lord. So we just want to be your instruments. We want to obey and work in that. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus to earth, not only to pay the penalty for us, but to model for us how we should live, how we should speak, how we should be invested in the world around us. And God, we thank you that you give us the wisdom of the word. Lord, help us to draw into your word and draw closer to you in this time. Lord, we ask for wisdom, God, in our church, in our our gospel groups, in this season, Lord. Things are very uncertain. 
And God, we trust in you and we ask for your wisdom to guide us. Lord, I ask that you would give each member of our church humility and grace towards each other. And God, we ask that you would just lead us clearly. God, our faith is in you. We pray this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.